we've been now studying the life of Joseph. As we are in the book of Genesis, we've been seeing how God is with Joseph everywhere he goes. Whether being raised in his family's household, being spoiled by his father, God was giving Joseph visions and dreams as a young man. And then when his brothers rose up against him out of jealousy, because he was favored, he was thrown into a pit, made it to seem as though he was killed by a wild beast to his father. There in the pit, God was still with him. And the brothers, instead of taking his life, decided to sell him to the Midianites as a slave, which they did. And still God was with him. And as a slave, he lived in the man Potiphar's household, was his servant. And Potiphar grew to trust Joseph. Joseph was a man who was righteous. So Potiphar put everything in Joseph's care. and Joseph was faithful in this. And there God was with him. And then Potiphar's wife came at Joseph with lust and cruel intentions and desired to, to have him to have an affair with Joseph. And Joseph, being a man of God, did what any man of God or woman of God should do in temptation. He ran out. He ran out so quick that she caught him by his garment and it ripped off of him and he fled naked. But as we have studied these chapters, we see that she then accused him of rape to her husband, and her husband had Joseph thrown into prison. And this is where we pick up. Now in Joseph's life, here he was in the most horrible of dungeons of pits, uncertain and unsure of his future, of his survival. Yet God was with him. Even there in the prison, it said that the guard, the main guard of the prison, elevated Joseph to be a, a leader there in the prison. Now Joseph perhaps saw this season in his life as endless and hopeless. But God, who is with Joseph, knew that this season was preparation. Every season in the life of a believer is preparation for the next season. And we know this to be true, that God works all things together for good for those who love him, because the Bible teaches it, but also because we know that God in his attributes he lives in one eternal presence. God is not 
confounded by time the way we are. God sees and knows everything from beginning to end. So because God is not bound by time, he created time. He is making all things work out for good for those who love God. God living in one eternal presence sees from creation all the way to the end of the age, which it talks about in Revelation. Now God, when he sees this, the way he understands or the reality that we live in, it can almost be portrayed as someone looking down from a helicopter, can look down on a train and see the beginning cart and the end of the rail carts. Now, he sees the entire train, but we as humans live in one moment at a time. So we're in just one part of this train. But God sees our ups and our downs, and he sees exactly where he's taking us. He sees exactly why he needs us to be led through certain valleys, over mountains, through fields, through deserts. And God knows exactly what he's doing in our lives at each of these seasons. See, God sees Joseph here in prison, but God also sees Joseph being led out of prison. God, as we're going to read, will see Joseph be taken to second in power in Egypt and then saving the Israelites and his family from a great famine. See, God sees us in the future with him entering into eternity and we can trust his plan and his love for us in this. It must have been hard for Joseph to to take this idea when he was there in the prison, when he, per, he perhaps was losing hope. But we see that God was with him and building him up. So this is where we are now in Joseph's life. So we begin with chapter 40, verse 1. It says, It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in, in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. So now we have these characters in our account, the chief butler and the baker, and they are in close proximity, both of them, to Pharaoh. And they were taking care of Pharaoh's needs from his food with the baker to the butler with even the drink and food that was served to Pharaoh. And something happened that offended the Pharaoh amongst them. And we're not sure what it was or why, but it was enough to place both of them in prison. Now, some might even say that perhaps there was something wrong with the food or the drink that Pharaoh had taken. Perhaps he suspected 
foul play with his food. Maybe he saw a fly in his wine or a bug in his food, and he was like, that's it, the butler, the baker, you're gone. So he placed them in the custody of the captain of the guard. Now this very well may have been Potiphar, because Potiphar also has the same title. But we're unsure of this. But look at verse 4. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so they were in custody for a while. Now, there are some who think that if this was Potiphar, the fact that Joseph was now excelling there in the prison and that Joseph was moving up in the ranks as kind of his own guard for the other prisoners, there are some who speculate perhaps, and this is just speculation, uh, this is man speaking, not the spirit, that perhaps Potiphar had come to realize over time that Joseph, in fact, was innocent and that he realized his wife had accused him wrongly. But in order to keep his wife from anything bad about her accusing Joseph, that he kept silent on this issue. But what we do know for sure from the word is that Joseph was, again, gaining success in the prison. And then in verse 5, Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. So these two characters, the butler and the baker, they have this dream at night. And suddenly they both wake up the next morning and they share their dreams with each other. And their dreams, they have similar symbols in their dreams, as we're going to read. But this is so much so that they were visibly upset to others. And we're going to read how Joseph noticed this on them. Look at verse 6. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? What comes to mind as I read this is discernment in Joseph's life. Now, perhaps these guys were obviously and ridiculously sad and distraught, but maybe it was more subtle than this. And perhaps Joseph, being a discerning man, saw their spirit was of a sad countenance. May we pray for discernment so that we could see in other people's life if they're going through something, that we might be able to minister to them, that we might be able to rejoice when someone is rejoicing and weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, and be able to understand what the Spirit is leading us in when we minister. So in verse 8, it says, And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. 
Now, at this point in time, remember, Joseph, he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites. And by the time that Joseph is going to be released from prison, appointed head over Egypt, he's 30 years of age, which brings a a total of 13 years of captivity that Joseph will endure as a servant and in prison. And we're not quite sure how many years he was a servant and how many years he was a prisoner. Nonetheless, 13 years being in captivity for something that he, a crime he didn't commit. It must have been hard knowing that he did the right thing there with Potiphar's wife, that he was loyal to the Lord, and still the Lord allowed him to go through such suffering. I think in those seasons of our life, we need to remember that God is sovereign, that God knows what he's doing and he has all things working together for good. And we not, might not understand, or, but we have to fall back on what we know God is and that God is good. Now, as these butler and the baker were so distraught by this dream, look at how Joseph gives glory to God. You see, it could have been that they were both saying, look, like these interpretations, there's no one to interpret them. Perhaps they sought out someone to interpret the dream already. There being in Egypt, there was sorcerers and magicians, and perhaps there in the prison, they knew of ways or certain people who might be able to interpret But nonetheless, none were shown to be true. It reminds me of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, if you remember when Nebuchadnezzar sought someone to tell him and interpret his dream, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this giant statue with different types of metals all along it. And it was so frightening to him that he he woke everyone up in the middle of the night, all of his magicians and sorcerers, and said, you guys need to interpret my dream. And they said, okay, well, tell us your dream, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar said, well, no, if I tell you my dream, then you might just make something up. So you need to tell me what I dreamed. And they were like, what? Nebuchadnezzar, No, nobody's ever asked such a hard thing to do. You need to tell us your dream. And he says, no. In fact, I'm going to start killing all of the magicians and the priests, being the Jewish priests, and those who are spiritual in the nation until somebody interprets my dream for me. So Daniel's friends heard this and they were like, oh my gosh. So they go to Daniel and they say, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill all of the, the priests and the magicians from Egypt if somebody doesn't interpret his dream. So they pray and they fast. And then Daniel goes to the king. And they're like, hey, we, we found someone, Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel has this same response of giving glory to God, 
See, Daniel says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 27 and 28, he says, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. You see, Daniel knew that interpretation belonged to God. See, this reminds me even of the word of God as we study it. God wrote through men the Bible. The Bible is inspired of God, meaning God breathed literally the words. That word for inspiration, it's not the way that an artist or a muse just is inspired by something and creates. No, inspiration literally means God breathed. So the Bible is God breathed. It is inspired by God. And its interpretation is from God. You see, there are people who will say, well, there's many interpretations. Well, no, actually, there's many human interpretations, but there's only one real interpretation. There's one truth to this. It's not divided in so many different ways. A lot of times people get it wrong. I get it wrong. So we need to ask God to give us the context, the truth of his word, that we could break down and understand what it is he's trying to speak to us. Now, there are many translations, but there is one interpretation that the Holy Spirit will give. Now, as Joseph is there before this butler and this baker, in verse 9 it says, then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. Wow, this is a miracle right here. We're seeing Joseph has this gift to interpret this dream. Now, there are symbols in this dream which had meaning. And again, the Bible needs to be read in context. There are times when a literal meaning should be interpreted literally. And there are other times when we're reading the Bible that there are allegorical or symbolic aspects to the word. 
So we need to look at it in context to find out, is this allegory? Is this literal? And there are times when the Bible of speaking is speaking of a literal sign, which is pointing to a literal future event. We see a lot of this in the book of Revelation. John is seeing these visions, and in these visions, sometimes he'll see beasts, which an angel will come to him and tell him what the beast means. The beast is a sign of a future nation that will rise, the angel will say. So what he's seeing, not necessarily that a literal giant beast might come in that particular portion of scripture, but that the beast is a literal sign which is pointing to a literal future event and thing that is going to take place. So perhaps, Christian, we're wondering, well, that seems like a lot of hard work to understand all these different things. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. And also understand that it's okay to take time. And when you're going through the Word of God, when we don't understand things, keep reading. Keep seeking and, and growing. And don't be uh, condemned or dismayed or anxious uh, about not understanding one particular thing. Sometimes I myself have been stuck on one single verse when I, I, I don't know its full meaning. And it'll take years. But I know that God is revealing to us what he needs to in his timing. And God was revealing here to Joseph what he needed at this place at this time. In verse 14, it says, after Joseph interprets this dream to the butler, Joseph says to him, but remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. We see Joseph is hoping still to be set free. He realizes that he was an innocent man in this point. And it's a reasonable request for the butler that he would simply remember him. And then in verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. I'm sure at this point, Joseph and the baker were not joyous over this. But Joseph gave him the truth. No matter how grim, Joseph had to give him what the word of God said. 
And he was accurate with it. Christian, we need to warn people of truth in love. We need to let people know of the coming judgment. We need to warn people that there is an eternity after this life. Imagine we, if you discovered the cure for COVID and you only kept it to yourself, maybe a few of your friends, those who were easy to talk to, how wrong would that be? Now, how much more so something that's eternal, something that lasts forever, the gospel which saves people from hell and which then puts a person now into the presence of God and having a relationship with Jesus where they're fulfilled, complete, living that purpose-filled life. We have this truth in us. May we share it. In verse 20, it says, Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So we see God's word came to pass. What God had spoken through Joseph was prophetic. I do want to bring up the fact that God can use dreams. That sometimes God uses dreams in our life to give us warning. And sometimes I've even had people pray with me about certain dreams that I've had and then interpret. And there were sometimes warnings. Now, I've also had dreams that had absolutely no sense at all, and they were probably from eating Mexican food late at night or maybe some chocolate and sweets, whatever that might be. And that can very well happen, and our, our psyche, our psychology, and all of those things do play a part. So that's where we need to bring these things before the Lord and then match them up with Scripture. But I will say, if you do have a, a dream about maybe a warning, pray about it and ask God to confirm it. And then you'll hear it again and again, and then you'll know, like, okay, like, I think God is trying to show me something and, and match it to the word. If God is giving you a dream that you're supposed to leave your husband and divorce your, your, your wife, then that's not a dream from God. That's a lie from the enemy. So we need to match it with scripture. And as these dreams were proven to be true by the Lord, Joseph just told him, hey, remember me. And he's like, oh, I got you, bro. I got you. And then he walks out. And then in verse one of chapter 41, it says, and it came to pass at the end of two full years. He's like, I got you, dude. And then, oh, 
butterfly. I forgot what we were talking about. Yeah. When we're given a task, we need to just do it. We can't procrastinate because we forget. Oftentimes, I'll tell a person, oh, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. And then if I walk away from that moment, I might easily forget to pray for that person. So I try to make it a practice that instead of just telling someone that I'm going to pray for them, it's just praying for them right there on the spot. That if they ask me, hey, like, can you keep me in prayer about such and such thing? And they're expecting me to maybe perhaps walk away. I'll say, hey, let's pray right now. And first of all, it makes sure that you actually pray for that person right then and there. But secondly, it opens them up to then join you in that prayer. We're now two or more are gathered. And then on top of that, let's say you're out in public. Now imagine people see people praying there in the parking lot of a grocery store. It reminds them, like, hey, there's people who believe in God out there. And the Spirit spreads. He moves. Now, the butler here, Alfred, he forgot about Joseph. It says in verse 1 again, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. And suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat. And they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows, so Pharaoh awoke. Now I have to admit, if I've ever had this dream, I probably would have been shocked. I probably would have been like, what kind of dream was this about cows? I work at In-N-Out too much. Something crazy is going on. I eat a lot of In-N-Out burger. Perhaps God is trying to give me a warning here. But Pharaoh wakes up, and it says this in verse 5. He slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them, and seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream." So there's very similar dreams that Pharaoh is having here. Seven cows that were fat and healthy, eaten by ugly, nasty, skinny cows, and then these seven sort of wheat uh, stalks of of corn type rising up, looking healthy, and then seven more wheat coming out after them and devouring them. And then in verse 8, Now it came to pass... In the morning, that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. 
see again we're, we're seeing similar accounts where Pharaoh is experiencing this. Nebuchadnezzar will experience the same thing and we see rulers oftentimes they seek out the advice of man, worldly advice before they seek out the Lord. But look at verse 9. It says then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day. Yeah, two years, a little late. And then in verse 10, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man, he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened, he restored me to my office, and he hanged him. So finally, the butler remembers, oh, snap, like, wait, I was in a similar situation to what Pharaoh was experiencing of being haunted by a dream. And I remember Joseph. And he even said, like, I, I remember my faults now. I should have told you about Joseph a while back when Joseph told me. But now he's making the right move. And then in verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothes, and came to Pharaoh. Now, as was the manner of the Egyptian custom, was to shave and to make yourself look proper before this leader. It says in verse 15, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now perhaps there is something, Christian, that is troubling us like Pharaoh. Perhaps it's not a dream, but perhaps there is something in our life that we are seeking an answer of peace on. That we have been, has something that has been bothering us and causing us to be anxious, causing us to act out of emotion, to be led by the things of this world. We need that answer of peace from God. Sometimes in our life, there's things that are not even necessarily bad. They're not sin, but they become, they become idols in our life or they become, well, an idol is an sin, but they become distractions in our life, I'll say. Ministries, uh, good works, uh, things that sometimes we get so busy and we put so much on our plate that we are focusing and are spreading ourselves thin and then suddenly we, we lose peace. May God give us that call 
that we can define and know and understand and walk exactly where God wants us to. And I'm not saying that if you're involved in wearing a lot of hats in your ministry that you're not in God's will. I'm just saying make sure that that's what God has called you to. We don't need to strive to open doors in our life. See, where God guides, God provides. And if God is closing a, a door on certain things, then by all means, allow that door to be closed. For us, Redeemed Church, one of those major closed doors that was kind of sad for me was COVID closing down the Glendora Center that we were at. But I, I knew when I got the phone call from the city saying that they were going to be closing down, I knew it was God. I, I, I wasn't upset at that point. I was, I was sad that I wouldn't be meeting with the, the friends, the family members, the spiritual family. But I also knew that it was God's divine hand leading and guiding us. Even to a point where a few months ago, when, if you guys remember, things started to open back up. Even in L.A. County, things were opening back up. And I, I sought, because they gave me a phone call. They said, hey, we're going to be opening back up in Glendora. And I was like, okay, God, is that what you want us to do? And I prayed about it, even fasted. I even told my fiance, hey, pray with me on this. Because um, I, I do have that desire to meet with people again. But I needed to, to make sure that that was where God was calling me. We prayed and we fasted and we didn't have a peace about it. So I w said, okay, you know what? We're going to wait. And then sure enough, maybe a month later, they shut everything down again in LA County and Glendora shut down again. And it was like, okay, you know what? See, God knows what he's doing. May we trust God's providence. May we trust God's sovereignty. See, providence is God's sovereignty in action. It's how he lines things up where we have these divine appointments in our life where there's those moments, those circumstances where we see like, wow, God lined things up perfectly on time. You see, Christian, God has that answer of peace in your life regarding his perfect will for you. And it's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer. He is everything we need. Now, Joseph knew to give God glory when Pharaoh began to say, I hear that you can interpret dreams. Joseph was said, mm -hmm. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Not all the magicians but God. So look at verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt. Such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven. 
the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So Pharaoh again reiterates his dreams to Joseph. And then in verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. So Joseph, interpreting the dream, dreams of Pharaoh, God speaks through Joseph and warns Pharaoh, look, there's going to be seven years of great agriculture and livestock that's going to grow and Egypt's going to be making a, a lot of commerce and doing very wealthy and living great with their food. But a famine's going to come after the end of that seven years, which is going to be so bad that people aren't even going to remember the seven years that were good. Now, there are times in a believer's life when you will get warned you will get warned of a situation that might arise. Or perhaps even God will reveal something to you about the future. And then at that point, perhaps you wonder, well, what, what are we to do at that point? What, what do I do with this information, God? I, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm scared. Maybe God, you feel, has put a call in your life and you're looking at, you're at point A and you're looking at, you need to get to point Z and you're just like, how can I even fathom getting there? Well, this is the beauty about what God is doing. It's God just takes you one step at a time. He's with you every step of the way. When Peter was told by Jesus that Jesus was going to be put on the cross and crucified. Peter said, far be it from you, Lord. Jesus had revealed a truth of a future event that was going to take place. 
And Peter said, no, that this is not what I want. And Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are mindful of the things of man, not of the things of God. Again, Abraham, when the angels visited him, the angels told him and Christ himself, God himself, appeared to Abraham and said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin is crying out. And Abraham said, far be it from you, Lord. And then they had that interaction of working down how many righteous people needed to be in that land in order for them to be spared. But there was not one, so God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I bring these up because there's times when God reveals plans to us, when God reveals things that he's going to do, and sometimes we don't understand or we don't want it, or sometimes we're scared of how we're supposed to get there. But again, we fall back on what we do know of God's attributes, that he's good, that he has a plan, that he's going to take us each step of the way, that as he is preparing to return to this earth, earth, God is going to prepare his church. You see, Jesus loves his bride, the church. And Jesus is going to prepare his church to meet God in heaven. So we are being prepared as a church. Yes, the world, it seems, is on fire. But God is preparing his church. May we have joy and hope knowing that he is coming for us. May we live this life knowing that he is coming for us. Now, Pharaoh had a decision here. Once he was given this future revelation, so it says in verse 33, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt, Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. We're going to pause here, Christian. See that now that Pharaoh had this problem in Egypt, he needed a solution. He needed that answer of peace that was given to him by God. And Pharaoh saw that Joseph was going to be a wise man. So next week we'll learn about why Pharaoh puts Joseph now second in command to then store much of the grain and the food during those seven plentiful years so that they could have something prepared for the famine. You see, Christian, there's a time to pray and there's a time to act. When Moses brought the Israelites 
to the edge of the Red Sea and they saw the Egyptian army coming after them. Moses cried out to God and God told Moses, why are you crying out to me? Put your rod in the water. You see, there's a time to cry out to God and then there's a time to act. May God give us discernment on when we need to be doing which action. We need to have that time of prayer always. And then we can't just sit back and not take on the responsibility that God gives us. And we're seeing this in the story, in the account. So Christian, remember this, that God is with us in every season. Every season is preparation for the next. That God being omniscient, all-loving, all-powerful is preparing us for that awesome call that he has for our life. He loves us and there is nothing that can separate us from his love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive us our sins, Lord God. Forgive us when we don't trust you. Lord God, when we don't understand the season that we're in and we point the finger at you and blame you. Father, forgive us. Lord, may we grow closer to you, trusting, Lord, that you're with us in the valleys, you're with us on the mountains. Lord God, continue to fill us with discernment, with wisdom, with gifts of the Holy Spirit, Father. I would even pray and ask, Father, that, Lord God, you would give us those spiritual gifts that are glorifying to you, that are signs, that are wonders. And may we not become boastful or look at the signs and wonders as that those are the special things, Father. But may we always give glory to you and you alone. Continue to lead and guide Redeemed Church Fellowship. Father, bless this church. Give us wisdom, discernment on where we go. Lord God, what, what you want us to, to finance in, where you want us to put our attention to. Lord God, we even lift up the podcast to you, Father, and we pray and ask that you would reach people, Father, through this ministry. We love you, Father. We praise you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, announcement. This coming Sunday, uh, at the end of our Sunday morning service, which begins at 11.30, at the end of the service, uh, we're going to have a, a time of fellowship, um, some food. And after a short period of fellowship, we are going to uh, watch a documentary on the foundation of the church. Um, I think it's something that's important for those who desire to, to grow in discipleship. Um, and if you would like to come, we're going to be here at my house. So uh, go ahead and message us and uh, we would love to see you. So God bless. And we're going to end with this last song.
Your plans are still to prosper You have not forgotten us You're with us in the fire and the flood You're faithful forever Perfect in love You are sovereign over us Even what the enemy means for evil You turn it for our good You turn it for our good And for your glory Even in the valley you are faithful You're working for our good You're working for our good And for your glory Even what the enemy means for evil You turn it for our good You turn it for our good And for your glory Even in the valley You are faithful You're working for our good, you're working for our good, for your glory. Your plans are still to prosper, you have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire, in the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over. Sovereign over us, Jesus, sovereign over us. God bless. We'll see you Sunday.